shooting for Pat, Pat Klein, who is the founder and director of Vision Beyond Borders. I've uh, known Pat for 25 years. I've walked with him. I've traveled different parts of the world with him. And <clears throat> when the Bible says, cool, all right, I need two of them. I think okay. this one's going to fall Go down. <laughs> I might even need a, a stool. My, I kind of sciatic situation here today. You know, this, uh, as they say, is growing old is not for the faint of heart. Let me tell you that. At any rate, um, so I've traveled with Pat. I've been on the board of directors for about 10 years. This is wonderful. This will be great. Gosh, well, you guys are excellent. <laughs> you know, it does my heart wonderful to see all you young people just loving Jesus. You know, it really does. In this world that's so full of chaos and lies, what did you say? You said they said someone told you that we Christians sing. We don't speak lies. We sing them. In the book of John, 14.6, Jesus said, and this is the theme of my message, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. Well, if you're singing lies, that means our Savior is a liar. And I don't buy it. I don't buy it. All the rest of life is a lie. It's from the pit of hell. We see it all over the world. We see abuses upon abuses upon abuses. I will start. <clears throat> How many uh, young men are 19 or 20 in here? When I was 19, I played uh, a year of semi-pro ball. My love was to be a baseball player. Um, I, that was my whole life. And um, the summer, of 1966, I was scouted by a scout from the Angels, the California Angels asked me to go and try out in uh, spring training in January in Palm Springs. A month later, I got my draft notice and I went off to Vietnam. Now think about that, you guys. I mean, you're gonna, not because you wanted to, because you were serving your country, that you're going off to war. I went off because uh, I had no choice. I could go to prison or go to Canada, I guess, but I decided to obey the law and be the good citizen and, uh, you know, apple pie and Chevrolet all the way, you know, and um, tried to do my best. I remember <clears throat> when I was in basic training, um, and I wasn't saved. I didn't get saved until I was 30 years old. God, I guess because of the thickness of my pride, I really had to get through it, go through it. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Boy, I'll tell you what, I know about humility. Anyways, I remember one time in um, basic training, it stuck with me. They took us out um, of the barracks. There was, in the base, there was churches on the base, and they took us into this parking lot and they were training us to be bayonet fighters. Well, we had bayonets stuck on our rifles. And the sergeant would yell out, what's the spirit of the bayonet fighter? And we all yelled out, to kill. And he said, how do we kill? And we said, without mercy. 19 years old. They're preparing me. My government 
spent good money training me to be a lean, mean, killing machine. For what? For what? For a war that, to this day, I don't think anybody realizes what that was all about, including myself, except for the, money, the people that made a lot of money in it. Excuse me. Anyway, so I went off to Vietnam. I was in the 2nd of the 14th Infantry, attached to the 25th Infantry Division. We were a search and destroy infantry unit. We were a battalion, 500 men. There was a headquarters companies, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. And when we would, they would hop, load us on helicopters, and the way we would go, and they'd drop us off in the jungle somewhere. We'd build a camp, and then we would run patrols. And we would seek out bad guys, and our job was to eliminate them. And um, it was, it was incredible to try and come to terms with all that. And I'll tell you, <clears throat> after a year, that was the normal tour, I served a year in Vietnam, um, you start to feel yourself degrading. It's, it, you know, we like to think we have really control, but when you're in a nasty environment like that, you just find yourself degrading. Well, anyways, I finally got out of it. I was um, uh, relatively unscathed, but mentally it was all messed up. I got out of there. Um, everybody was protesting against the war. They were calling me a baby killer and all these things. So I had no, you know, I, it's not like, at least today when guys come out, you know, a lot of heroes and people are receiving them the way they should. But back then, we had all the protesters going on. Um, excuse me, a guy in my unit, he was one of the most decorated guys in our unit. When we landed in the airport, we were mustering out. He took his uniform off. He had a silver star, bronze star, purple heart. He crumbled it up and put it in the trash can and put on civilian clothes because the object was to get out of there and get back into civilian life as soon as you could. Nobody talked about it. Even my parents didn't want to talk about it. It was as if we were gone on vacation for a year and come home all of a sudden, and it was tough. A lot of us, a lot of vets are messed up to this day. Well, anyways, I was seeking the truth. I, you know, as soon as I got out of Vietnam, I met a girl, got her pregnant. That lasted about six years, and she took off with a nightclub singer in Las Vegas. And so here again, I'm going, I'm trying to live a good life. I wanted to live a good life. You know, I was, like I said, Chevrolet, apple pie, USA, all the way. And it just wasn't working. And I found myself, um, just uh, at the bottom. I really felt I was at the bottom. And <clears throat> it's interesting. I remember saying to myself, uh, well, I've lost everything, and I'm at the bottom, but I can still smile. Well, things got worse. <laughs> I had to get to the bottom. God had to take me there for me to let go for me to say, I don't need anybody. I grew up with a chip on my shoulder. I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. I don't need God. I don't need that crutch. I don't need any of that stuff. Well, God had plans for me. And he started working on me. I, started, I got caught up in the Jesus movement of the 70s. Praise God. Oh, revival is wonderful. It was powerful. It was so powerful. I, I ended up getting saved in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith 
And I remember Greg Laurie, when he come, he had cutoffs, long hair, and he was a surfer. Boy, he could still preach, so boy, he was good. And at um, any rate, <clears throat> you know, God was just totally moving. And I had all the questions that the world has. And I remember one thing that really stands out in my mind. You know, being a non-believer, I didn't know if, if he was Buddha or Krishna or Bob Dylan, for that matter. I just, I just wondered, who are you, God? I don't know who you are. Where are you? You know, and so I remember I lived in Southern California. I went down to the beach one night and I said, God, I don't know who you are, but if you made me, surely you can tell me who you are. Boy, I'll tell you. I was, Jesus freaks were attacking me everywhere I turned around. <laughs> they were giving me hugs and loving on me and all these kind of things. And it was a bizarre thing. Well, anyways, God drew me. I had this thought about, <clears throat> well, if God is so loving, how come there's all these deformed, wretched things going on, you know? And, and you know, how can God use people that are, you know, sickly and hurting and, and carrying on? Well, two things stand out in my mind. The night I got saved, I was in the church there, Calvary Chapel, big, nice, comfortable church. And, um, you know, every eye closed, every head bowed, raise your hand. You know, we all heard that. And they were doing the altar call. And it was just welling up inside of me. I was getting to the point where either I was going to run out of the church or I was going to go get saved. There was no question about it. So some people were coming forward, and I'm still holding on. I'm... I'm not going for this, you know, this is another deception of life, and, you know, it's all good, and la, 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 but, well, anyways, uh, about four rows ahead of me was a guy in a wheelchair, and MS or somebody was all crunched over like that, you know, sitting on the chair, and they started singing, and they started singing, I lift my hands up unto thy name, I lift my hands up, well, here's this guy, uh, like that. And I go, my goodness, if that guy is raising his hands to Jesus, I have no excuse. Boom, I went down, got saved. I asked Jesus into my life, and it changed my life. My life was all messed up, and it changed. Something happened to me. I was born again. I was a new creation. Old things passed away. I couldn't carry Vietnam with me anymore. I couldn't carry divorce with me anymore. I couldn't carry all that garbage. I was born again. I was a child of the king, child of the most high. I'm an heir to the throne, and no one's going to take that from me or any of you. Jesus is the truth. In this chaotic, messed up world, he is the truth and the way to God. Hallelujah. We're on the winning side. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. The devil, who is the master of deception, he'll try every way he can to deceive you and discourage you. But believe me, I was able to live 30 years without Jesus and now 38 years with him. And the difference is like night and day. Night and day. It puts meaning, puts purpose, puts reason. I don't have to rely on the U.S. government, or anybody else, I rely on Jesus. And, and it saddens me to this day to see how our government is throwing Jesus, God, out of everything he can in this country. I thought, in God we trust. What happened to that? 
You guys got to be the spokesman. You're the young ones coming up. You got to say, hey, look, let's put Jesus back in the government because that's what has made the United States what it is. Take it away. I know I read in the news this morning that um, China has now released the ban on uh, uh, one child. Uh, I remember when I was there in China and I was talking to some people about that and the law was that you can only have one child in China. Well, now you can have two. And when I read that this morning, it struck me. The thing that struck me is like, well, cattle prices are down, so we're going to have less cattle. Up, oh, cattle prices are up, you know, so let's have more cattle. It's just like the government's trying to control humanity. You can't do that. The Bible says in, um, let's see, where am I here? That happy is the man whose quiver is full. And that means that if you have more children, you're going to be happier. Not to take away from them. In Proverbs 3, 5, 8, we all know the scripture. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Hang on to that one. That one in John 14, 6 as well. Those are wonderful, wonderful uh, scriptures that can carry you through, through life. All right, now, getting to Vision Beyond Borders. <clears throat> that was my testimony. By the way, um, after I got saved, um, I met a girl. And um, she, uh, I was living in Southern California. She's from Tucson, and, but she had traveled to Montana every year of her life. Her grandparents actually lived in Townsend, and they owned the Townsend Star. And uh, so I know when we were, we were getting closer and closer, and I, I didn't know if I really wanted to get married again. I, I had enough of that. But it just seemed like she was such a wonderful woman that if I let that go, I'm <laughs> I wasn't going to get another one. And so I remember talking to her, and, and I said, okay, if we're to get married, two things. Number one, we're going to get right with Jesus. And number two, we're moving to Montana. And so that's what we did. <laughs> so I moved to Townsend 35 years ago, built a log house, and uh, we're still there today. I loved every minute of it. And we've raised our children. They've put them through college. They have families of their own. And, um, oh, man, I mean, life just came together. I was really pleased. It, wasn't, it didn't cost. It, I gained. You know, one of the things was asked of me to talk about the sufficiency of Christ. Well, Christ came not only for sufficiency, but he came to give us life and life to the full. Some translations say life more abundantly. And it's true. My life has a hundred times more purpose and meaning today than it did when I was wandering around in the world trying to appease all my senses, you know. It was a joke. Well, anyways, I met Pat Klein, like I said, uh, about 25 years ago. And in that time, <clears throat> he was just starting his ministry. The Bible says in uh, the Great Commission in Mark, we're, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, you know. Someone was talking about a short-term ministry class. Praise God. If you want to go on short-term missions, we're just down here at Four Corners. We've got teams going all the time, and we're always going. And we would encourage you and invite you to go. We're, 
primarily Bible smugglers. Uh, we take Bibles where they don't necessarily want them, but I believe that I answer to a higher authority. I don't care about their stinking governments. I just don't. <laughs> you know, I follow Jesus. He said he's the truth. Who else is going to say I'm the truth? They're all wrong, you know. Jesus is the truth. So anyway, smuggling, I remember taking them, as a side story, when I first uh, uh, carried Bibles into China. <laughs> I was nervous, no question about it, but... Uh, for the most part, um, they just, if they do catch you, they take your Bibles away, okay, and um, kick you out of the country. And so, at any rate, <clears throat> when I was going through there, I'd gone through three times that day, and it was, and I, you, you get a suitcase, I had two suitcases full of Bibles, and I had a cart, and I was, they were bungeeing together, and I was pulling them, and you just, you know, you walk through customs, you take the train to the border, and then you walk through. We, in Hong Kong, we have a warehouse where we, take our Bibles into, and then we smuggle them to contacts inside the country. And, um, and the point is, that people will say, well, Bibles are okay in China. Yeah, it's all right, it's all right. Well, then why would they take them away from us if it was okay? It's crazy. They don't want them in there. They are, they are a people's republic, you know. It's the same thing I heard, and I'll share that with you later. But anyways, I was carrying these Bibles in. I was, of course, I was nervous first time. You really experience first-handed being naked before God because you have no defense. It's a, it's a remarkable feeling. You, you load up your Bibles and you know, well, here we go, Lord. You want the Bibles in here. You're going to have to close these guys' eyes. <laughs> you know? So you go, I went through and, yeah, that was cool. Did it again. Went back, got another load, did it again. On the third time, third time through, I thought, okay, this is my last trip today. And so I'm... The, the um, x-ray machine is against the wall, and the customs guys and the guards are behind you. And so you, you put your suitcase on there, and it goes through the machine, and you pick it up at the other end. Well, anyways, <clears throat> the doggone uh, bungees came apart, so I had two suitcases and a cart coming out separately. And so I'm here trying to put all this stuff together, and I hear this, hoi, hoi! I'm going, uh-oh. This doesn't sound good. <laughs> so I continue ignoring him and putting my bungee cords and getting this on as fast as I can. And I hear it again, hoy, hoy. And I'm going, what does that mean? Does it mean like spread eagle on the floor? <laughs> I'm going, God, this is my last trip today. Get me out of this. And so I slowly turn around, and he was chasing after another guy. Praise God, I took off. <laughs> so... Anyways, the thing that was also remarkable about that experience was, of course, over there it's day and here it's night. I have a wife and three daughters. And every one of them that night woke up in the middle of the night with an urgency to pray for me. Unbeknownst to any of us, praise God. And God works that way. We've seen miracle after miracle. Um, I know when we first came to Bozeman, for example, with Vision Beyond Borders, we were in Sheridan, it wasn't working out, and we wanted to be near a college and we wanted to be near a bigger airport. So we decided, well, let's go move it to Bozeman here. And so we came and bought a, a building over there by Four Corners. Anyways, so here, here we, we needed to have offices in there, and we, we don't have much of a budget. A lot of money, but it comes in the front door and out the back. So we have a staff of seven, and 
most of us are minimum wage, but at any rate, <laughs> but we love the Lord. So anyway, <clears throat> we needed to add some offices. We had a contractor come in and, and he gave us a bid of $19,000 to do this, okay? So I tell Pat, I says, hey, we don't have 19 grand to do this. He said, oh, God will take care of it. Let's just pray. Okay, we pray. After all was said and done, it cost us less than a thousand bucks. People came and just donated, gave. I have a, a good friend who's an electrical contractor, and he was he said it was going to cost seven thousand dollars to do the electrical. And so I said, Well, Glenn, you got to do what we got to do. What you got to do. So he starts working and getting convicted as he's working. <laughs> Praise God. So, so finally, after all the wirings, and he's he's going well. I'll, I'll donate my labor, but, you know, I got too much money invested in these lights and wires and switches and all that. And I said, okay, well, we'll just do what we can do. And I was kind of helping him help finish up. And so the last day I said, okay, Glenn, how much do I owe you? Turns around and walks out. <laughs> Praise God. We needed a forklift, okay? We move a lot of pallets. We also, you know, we distribute uh, containers. We fill up containers with clothes and food and and all sorts of things. Hygiene packs are really in demand. We just sent two 40-foot containers to Lebanon, which will go to the Syrian refugees. We have a containers in Burma, and we do that as part of what we do. And um, <clears throat> so, anyways, we needed a forklift. So um, we were boring some guy's forklift, and he was he was kind of not a nice guy about it. But so I talked to Pat again. I said, "Okay, we have to have a forklift." He said, "Well, let's pray about it." I said. I said, do you honestly think someone's going to give us a forklift? Those aren't cheap, you know. He said, well, we have a little weekly praise report. He puts it in there and sends it out to our people. And so about two weeks later, get a call. The guy says, yeah, got a forklift on the way. It'll be shipped to Belgrade, pick it up. <laughs> we don't, even to this day, don't know who that guy was. So we got a forklift. Another guy called up and says, um, I, I don't have a forklift, but I'll send you 20 grand to buy one. Praise God. And we see it time and again. We see it time and again. Um, we see it in the people. I was in Cuba uh, not too long ago. And um, <clears throat> there was a woman that came into, we have a contact there that we stay with. And um, Cuba's, uh, it's kind of going through some weird things right now. And, and um, it's real. The one thing I've noticed about communist countries, whether it was in China or Vietnam or, or Cuba or uh, Laos, is that all of them, they have what we call block cops. And they're, they pay attention to what's going on. And they're, and they're always looking when you, when you arrive, see what you're up to and all that kind of stuff. They're not stupid, they know we're there, you know. But I guess they tolerate us. But anyways, I was, I was in Cuba and this woman came in with a little child, and she, she looked like one of these posters of a meth person. You know how they're all skinny and all messed up, and she was just babbling on. And, and um, um, I asked Jenny, I said, let's pray for this girl. And so I started laying our hands on her and praying for her, and she just went limp. And I grabbed her, and it was a skinny little girl. I felt like she weighed 500 pounds. I thought I was going to go to the floor. Set her down. And we prayed for her. She kind of passed out. The next day, she came back. I had to go and deal with some other things. And the next day, she came back in. Looked like a totally different person. She was warm, 
smiling, her child was smiling. It was just an incredible event. And we see these things. We see people getting healed of sicknesses. We, have, uh, we go into um, uh, the Burma-Thai border, and there's, um, I don't know, 20,000 refugees there, something like that. And we go in there, we take food, and we try to do what we can do. We, you know, nobody can do everything. But it doesn't give anybody the excuse to do nothing. If everybody did something, it would be a much better world. Just give back a little bit. I owe so much to my Lord because of what he has given to me and my family. I owe too much. I have to give back. And so uh, we see these people. Um, my wife went to um, the border uh, on a trip, and we, we load up a pickup truck in Chiang Mai and drive up into the, to the refugee camps, and we have food and clothes and different things and toys. One little boy in the refugee camp, he, uh, we usually try to get ice cream. They, a lot of these kids never ate ice cream, didn't know what ice cream was. And one little boy, it, it broke my heart, he, uh, he got two scoops of ice cream, and he ate the one, and he had the other one in a napkin. He was going to save it for later. He didn't even understand. It was going to melt, for crying out loud. At any rate, <clears throat> when my wife went there, it was Mother's Day, and these little kids who have seen their parents die, they run out of Burma. There's a genocide going on there. They uh, struggle through the jungle, and they get to um, the safe or the refugee camps on the Thai border. These little girls, they took all the women up on the stage, little girls and boys, and they did a foot washing for all the women who had come. Gosh, what a thing. I talked to one girl that came back, and she said that, <clears throat> you know, the kids said, we want to do something for you. And she said, well, you can pray for me. So she sat down, and these kids all gathered around her, started praying for her, praying, praying, praying. She said when she got up, her hair was drenched wet from the tears of those kids. Just, gosh, just, those things just, you know, bless me. And we see that. You see a little boy worshiping Jesus with all his might. It just it affects you. When I was in Cuba, boy, them Cubans know how to worship. You go to a worship service in Cuba, it'll just melt you. They, and the average income to a Cuban, $25 a month, you know. But they pull together. And they help each other. It's kind of like the church in Acts when they all got together and they helped each other out. It's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And what a, what a joyous thing to travel and then embrace a brother or a sister that could be Chinese, could be Vietnamese, could be Romanian, could be Cuban. All that stuff goes away. You're a brother and a sister in Jesus Christ. You really feel a part of the family. We're the bride of Christ. We're going to be together for eternity. So let's get used to each other. Somehow we're going to be stuck together in this thing. And, and if we're the bride of Christ, which is a great analogy, we're here for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness or in health. It's about commitment. When you get hooked up with Jesus Christ, make commitment the most strength that you have. Because this world is full of people who run here and there, wanting to have their ears tickled. They 
raise up people who tell them what they want to hear, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Let's commit to this. The world is, is hurting for that. That's why there's so many divorces and all these kind of things, because people don't commit. It's for better or for worse. It's not always wonderful. We all have hard times, but we have hope. When I was in uh, Kathmandu, and I'll be closing this here. When I was in Kathmandu, <clears throat> I went to the temple, the Hindu temple. It's a major big temple on the Ganges River. It's uh, an incredible place to visit. Um, uh, the Hindus believe that when you're dying, if you have like a, a foot or your heart, arm or hand in the Ganges, it's a special blessing. So they have these concrete steps going down the Ganges and all these dying people laying there and then next to them they got the kind of like platforms where they burn up the dead bodies and then downstream there the kids are picking up the chunks of wood that didn't get all burned up so they can burn the next one oh, it's just nuts and <clears throat> you look at these people and you can just see a hopelessness in their eyes it's it you just see it it's a hollowness there's nothing in there and and they think um, they're going to get reincarnated and they don't want to be. Somehow they would like to pass. You know, what do they want to come back to? You know, and um, it, it, the fallacy of reincarnation is everybody expects they're going to go up a step. Well, there's a lot more people that are in poverty than there are going up the ladder, whatever you chances are. If you're going to reincarnate, you might be an Ethiopian little baby. <laughs> Who knows what? It's, it's just. It reminds me of the, of the ultimate deception of Satan. When a cow urinates in the street, the lady wipes it up with a rag and wipes it on her baby's face as a blessing. You know, it's just nuts. We see the craziness all over the world. But when we talk about miracles, the number one greatest event is salvation. I could lay hands on somebody and maybe they would be healed of cancer, but they're still going to die. If I hand somebody a Bible, no matter what we do, whether we uh, send clothes, send uh, food, send all these things, the best gift is the truth, as Jesus is the way and the truth. And once they receive that, that's forever. That's eternal. No one can take that from them, kids. The little boys and girls that we've seen in I'll be joining them someday together, and we'll be rejoicing. The guy that raised his hand, he'll be running across heaven. I'll tell you that. It'll be a wonderful sight. It'll be a great sight, because sin will be no more. And we'll be able to just walk with our Lord. What a wonderful thought that is. Oh, man. So, trust in the Lord with all your might, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. This is the word. This is really the truth. And <clears throat> if somebody tries to tell you that you're singing lies, tell them, I'm not so sure about that. You might be listening to the lie. And, if, uh, and I know that Jesus is the truth, and he will guide us back to himself someday, and it will be a wonderful event. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for today. 
I um, just ask, I'm just so blessed, Father God. I ask for a special blessing on all these young people that you just place into them the desire to serve you. As you said when you came, you came not to be served, but to serve. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I just ask that you would just do the same. Burn in these young people. If they want to travel, if they want to preach, but just share the good news some way or some fashion. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.